0: Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.
1: Good morning. It is Thursday, May 12th. You are listening to a bonus episode of the College Football Daily. I'm your host, Lance Glenn. We are smack dab in the middle of the month of May. A little bit of a slow time in the college football world, knock on wood but I want to let you know that we have some great episodes upcoming on the College Football Daily, so make sure to rate, review us, and subscribe wherever you get your podcast. On today's episode, we are going to head out west and talk about the Stanford Cardinal. So joining me now, he covers Stanford athletics for 24-7 sports, cardinal247.com, Jackson Moore. Jackson, how we doing, man? Thanks so much for coming on giving me some time.
2: Yeah, I'm doing well. Thanks
1: for having me on. So Jackson, Stanford and David Shaw are in a little bit of a unfamiliar spot, so to speak, right? You throw out 2020, but 2019 and the past Season plain and simply weren't up to the standards that we've been seeing for the program since really 2009. You know, I don't think Stanford has seen a stretch like this since maybe the transition from Walt Harris to Jim Harbaugh's first two seasons. And what's made it more surprising is the lack of staff changes this offseason. In fact, I don't think there were any changes made at all. Um, Obviously, David Shaw isn't on the hot seat, but what's the fan perception of the last few seasons and the moves, or really lack thereof? That Shaw has made to turn things around and get everything back on the right track.
2: Yeah, you know, there's definitely frustration, especially not just the seven game losing streak they finished with, but the massive losses they took in some of those games. It just felt like rock bottom and to not have any changes to kind of give you some encouragement and hope that that's going to turn around is uh, probably disappointing for some. But at the same time, I mean, you look at the staff, a lot of these guys are ninth, 10th year assistants. They've been here for a long time. They've had a ton of success. I, You know, you highly doubt that they just forgot to coach or anything. You, you figure that they have the ability to turn this around. But it seems like the changes have been kind of minimal. They've you know, they've changed the defensive scheme around a little bit. They've tinkered with the offensive philosophy a little bit. They changed practice a little bit, a little less a about install, a little more just competition. And, you know, I think they're just kind of stuck in some difficult situations where they can't really utilize the transfer portal. They can't bring back a lot of those fifth and sixth year guys because the grad school at Stanford so tough to get into. And they're just in a tough spot right now. And until they figure out some of those things, you know, they're going to be at a disadvantage for, uh, compared to a lot of their peers.
1: And you do mention that a lot of the coaches from last season, obviously, were experienced guys, guys who have been with David Shaw for a long time, who have been at Stanford for a long time. Is there a sense of maybe staleness? Because look, I know, obviously, coaching staffs have a lot of success, but I think for any staff, regardless of how long you've been there, there comes a time where sometimes a change just needs to be made. Sometimes things just kind of grow old and you need a new voice, a new fresh idea in the program, uh, whether it's at a specific position coach or another. Do you think there's that kind of sense where maybe... Stanford just needs to make a change at certain positions solely for change's sake.
2: Yeah, I think you could definitely make that argument. And it does feel like, you know, they had a lot of success. And now the last three years have been average to bad and that it would make a lot of sense to go that way, I think. Kind of the the drum that Coach Shaw has beaten a, a bit or is that they've had a lot of injuries, which is fair to them. Um, you know, Their team hasn't quite looked like what it should have for most of the last three years. And you know they have some COVID excuses as well. It's a bit tougher in the Bay Area than a lot of other places when it comes to that stuff over that stretch of the pandemic. But, uh, I mean, it's kind of, it's probably not make or break because Coach Shaw is in such a good position at Sanford. But it does feel like, Something's got to happen this upcoming season, or there's got to be hope that the ball's rolling back to where they were. Or, you know, how, how long can this keep going? And so. They do need to get kind of a breakthrough point here, I think, to prove that it's not stale and that they don't need to make a change because this is can't keep going for what the expectation of this program has become, thanks to these same coaches.
1: And, you know, we talk about the tough times over recent seasons for the Cardinal, a seven game losing streak to end 2021. And frankly, the last four of Utah, Oregon State, Cal and Notre Dame, they weren't very close, right? Is that something weighing on the staff and the players? You know, have they mentioned the need to, I guess, break the streak, so to speak, because look, they have the opportunity week one against Colgate. But then afterwards, I was looking at the schedule. They have a pretty tough slate for the five weeks going forward.
2: Yeah, definitely. Uh, energy was pretty high this spring. There was no hangover or anything like that. I mean, and you look at this roster, they've recruited very, very well. There hasn't been much of a drop. They maybe haven't been quite like the top 15 classes they were rolling in the the 2010s. But even this incoming class was a top 20 class. And I mean, they have the talent across the board uh, to feel confident that they're not going to be the team that was last the end of last season. There were some certain position deficiencies and then the injuries mounted. And uh, I think they can feel like they're going to be able to bounce back, but Yeah, again, when you can't bring in transfers and you you don't take advantage of that extra COVID eligibility, you're not going to have the same type of depth and you're going to have more growing pains than other schools. And there's definitely some positions on this roster, D-line probably most of all, that uh, it's going to be going through that process where they'd love to bring in a few guys that were juniors and seniors uh, that have started at other places, but uh, that's not going to be the case for Stanford.
0: Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you.
1: So one thing to look forward to for next year, of course, is the progress and the continued development of quarterback Tanner McKee. Now, look, he needs to be more consistent, more careful with the ball. Just looking at his stats alone, Stanford, they're three and two through the first five games, including that big upset over Oregon. And at that time, he had 11 touchdowns to no picks. The final five games he played last year, Stanford went own five. He had four touchdowns to seven picks. So obviously a big difference between the first five compared to the last five. Where was the greatest improvement needed for him to take the next step? And did you see enough progress this spring? To feel like he will continue to develop this coming season?
2: Yeah, I think big kudos to Tanner McKee. I really loved what he did last season. I thought he played great. I felt like most of the problems were things happening around him. The O line was not a Stanford O line like you expect. The running game was, I mean, about as poor as it's been at Stanford. And you know, really as good as he was throwing the ball, it was pretty one dimensional. They got a lot of tall receivers and he knows how to throw it up to them <laughs> with his tall frame himself. And it's pretty hard to stop in a lot of situations. And so, you know, if they can get the running game going, give him some more protection and kind of diversify the passing game with maybe some screens and some, some slot receivers that emerge some quicker guys. I mean, that that's going to go a long way in just making him look a lot better because I think he's got all the tools and you know, a little more seasoning will help as far as the picks. But uh, I mean, this guy, this guy's the limit for him. And if the rest of the offense comes along, uh, he's going to have kind of a, an NFL draft, kind of a preview if uh, he can put it together this season with the offense.
1: Yeah. And frankly, if you look at way too early 2023 mocks, uh, you do tend to see Tanner McKee's name uh, there as well. Um, and look, alongside McKee in the skill positions, it's a very talented receiver group and the son of an NFL Hall of Famer and EJ Smith. He's obviously the son of Emmett Smith. Now, granted, they did lose some depth in the backfield due to the transfer portal, but still the skill position talents there, starting with receiver, how good do you think that group can be? And then with EJ Smith, how much pressure on is on him to be the guy at running back and to really provide a consistent threat running the ball for the Cardinal?
2: Yeah, you know, they have a, a ton of receiver options, a lot of older guys, Uh, Michael Wilson's a big one who was supposed to be the star basically last year and played very little due to injury. He was injured from the start of the year. So having him back is going to be big for them. Elijah Higgins had a breakout year. Uh, tight end Ben Urosik, uh had another breakout year as well. I mean, he's as capable as any of the receivers are from that tight end position. And uh, they've got a lot of other options as well. They've brought in a couple of players. They've got some more health. So, I mean, beyond those three, uh, there's going to be a lot of capable receivers that maybe don't have the top end numbers, but are going to be big weapons for them. And then the running game is a big one because, I mean, it was pretty underwhelming last year but Austin Jones was expected to have a big year. It didn't quite work out that way. He's down at USC now. So uh, certainly feels like some potential was untapped there. And then Nate Pete as well, who's out at Missouri. Uh, he was a guy that uh, again, those kind of one, two punch with them didn't quite work out. And now EJ Smith steps up. David Shaw has kind of anointed him as the next big running back at Stanford. The guy that he expects to be an NFL type of running back. And uh, I think the signs are there. Um, I think it's all just going to come down to the O-line and, Definitely his health, because there's not a whole lot of depth. They'll have Casey Filkins, who's kind of a deep play threat kind of guy, uh, along with Smith. But other than that, they don't have a whole lot of depth
1: back there. So, Jackson, a couple more from me. want to switch over to the defense. And defensively, it is like a tale of two units, right? Up front on the defensive line, Stanford has a lot to replace, basically the entire defensive line. In the secondary, I think the group can be a really special one. After watching them this spring, knowing what they bring back and knowing what they need to replace, How confident are you in the defense as a whole that they'll be able to really gel and come together ahead of game one in September?
2: Yeah, that's the biggest question as the whole because you look at, uh, as mentioned, the secondary and um, man, they're in good shape. They're going to have Caillou Blue Kelly back, who they expect to be an NFL cornerback. Jonathan McGill, who misses 10 games, comes back for two and gets two picks. They would have loved to have him all year. Uh, He'll be healthy and available. Uh, They bring in Patrick Fields from Oklahoma, the very rare transfer that they were able to bring in. Uh, And that's just the start of that secondary. Then you look at the D-line. They ran a 3-4 defense last year, and their top four defensive linemen are all gone now. All seniors, uh, two got chances in the NFL. Uh, they're tinkering with the defense, and I think that's their, you know, their best hope that that won't be as big of a drop off as it may be. Uh, it looks like they're going to have more four down linemen, but with edge players on the the defensive end spots, so you may only be replacing two defensive line spots if you look at it that way, which is going to be big because there's not a whole lot of experience that's coming back now with all those seniors leaving. So. The interior D line is a big question. The inside linebackers are guys that have been around Stanford at a long time for a long time, but kind of got their first chance to just be healthy last season, and they've got some more room to grow. So that's a big question. But the secondary and the edge, where they bring back some talent and they bring in uh, basically their best three recruits I believe in this class are all edge players David Bailey came in and he's expected to play Uh, he came in in the spring already looking like he's going to contribute there so you're about really really excited about half the defense a little concerned about the other half and we'll see how it meshes together
1: So Jackson, last one before I let you go. I know recruiting wise, Stanford has adapted over the last few seasons. I think it was either last class, maybe the one before where they, I think for the first time took an early enrollee. So it's been a slow adjustment to modern times, but an adjustment nonetheless. And obviously there are difficulties at Stanford when it comes to recruiting that a lot of other schools or most other schools don't face. And obviously NIL has taken over recruiting in a sense, whether that's high school recruiting or even the transfer portal. How have the Cardinal adapted to this new NIL world? Or maybe the better question is, Have they done anything to really embrace NIL or welcome it in when it it comes to their program?
2: Yeah, you know, when it kicked off, they did announce a program they're putting together, like many schools, to try to give the student athletes resources and abilities to take advantage of that. You know, there really hasn't been any kind of headline deals that I can recall or, you know, big notable contracts that we're aware of. It's a little different because they operate Differently as a private institution, perhaps, but you know that I'm assuming it's there that they're not a school that can go in the portal and say, "Hey, here's six figures," like some schools are doing. Because I mean, they they can't bring in transfers uh, unless it's a very uh, specific situation. And then I think they're really riding on just the ability and the attractiveness of what Stanford is, what the degree means there, and. That it hasn't really been, I don't think, a big factor as far as recruiting goes yet. But it is something that they have the resources there for the student athletes to take advantage of. And I think there's some unique opportunities there with the academic offerings and the business connections that maybe some other schools don't have.
1: The Cardinal open the season at home against Colgate on September 3rd. You can follow Jackson on Twitter at jacksonmore 247 Really appreciate you giving me some time today, man. Thanks so much for joining me.
2: Yeah, thanks again for having me. I appreciate it.
1: So for Jackson More, I am Lance Glenn. Thanks for listening to this edition of the College Football Daily. Have a good Thursday, everyone.